Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We're going to talk about the uh, the economy, the worldwide economy and our Canadian economies. We've had two years of COVID. We're in the midst of the international supply chain crisis. We have the CP rail strike underway. Uh, inflation is climbing dramatically. The stock markets are, well, they're up, they're down, they're everywhere. And there's, of course, the political uncertainty. Add to that the energy cost reality. We talked about that in some great detail yesterday. And uh, what shape is Canada's economy in? What does it mean to you and to me? And where are we going? There's only one person I know who can sort all of this out first. It's the next guy. Dr. Eric Cam, macroeconomist at Ryerson University. Do you have your, uh, you have your magic potion ready, Dr. Cam? Well, thank you for having me. And I have to admit that I am by far neither as courageous nor as brave as many of your guests this weekend and last weekend. But let's do our best to soldier forward. Yeah, well, let's let's start with this. Let's start with what's going on in uh, in Ukraine with Russia and the invasion and what that is causing internationally to the to the economies of the world and to the economy of Canada. What impact does Ukraine have on an already disturbed international economy? Well, we're very lucky in that respect because it's a glass half full issue, Roy. What happened this week was that the Russian government, which is much, much bigger than the Ukrainian government, uh, they defaulted on a bunch of bonds and interest that was supposed to be paid on those bonds. And that was $117 million this past Wednesday with another about half a billion dollars coming up later in the month. And the interesting part is that the Russian government could have covered that debt if they didn't have all of their assets frozen by the rest of the world and the World Bank and the IMF. So what that does is it takes their currency down about 40% against the US dollar, which this is going to start the spin cycle, the spin cycle of the Russian economy starting to spiral a little bit out of control negatively. Now, the good news for the world economy and by association Canada's economy is that Russian debt was only about 13% of its GDP. And that makes it a tiny percent, Roy, of world indebtedness. So it's going to be a shock to Russia and very sad to the people living in Russia that their economy is spiraling out of control. But to the rest of the world, it's a very small level of indebtedness and exposure. So will it hit Canada directly? Not to the extent that it would some of the other countries like Turkey or Greece that are major, major trading partners with Russia and the Ukraine. So the, the so I don't have any short answers. My long answer is it's not great, but we're very buffered from its effects. Okay, so um, the issues that we face in this country, the economic challenges that we face, they have been around for some period of time now. They're not necessarily making the headlines right away, each and every day, but they are still there. They're still a fact of life, and they're becoming more challenging. So let's get into some of this. Let's see if we can get you to share your thoughts with the inflation issue, price hikes going up for the necessities of life. What can you, what, what, what's on your mind on that? What share with us? I'll be honest. I think it's disastrous. Um, you've asked me before, what's the most important macro variable in the economy? And yeah. I've said the price level and people get very upset. They write me back and they say, isn't it gross domestic product or this or that? No, 
I don't think so. I think what matters most to to Mr. and Mrs. trying to make a living are prices and can they afford their life and are their savings and are their wages being eroded? And right now we are at a, a, a new high. We are at almost about 7% inflation. And let me tell you, Roy, I want to dispel a myth because people have been writing me and I've heard on other media, well, that doesn't matter if you take out core inflation, but Roy, why on God's earth would you take out core inflation? Why would you remove things like oil and gas and food, which are the things that people most buy? So I say the heck with that, leave in core inflation. And we're at about 7%. That is a 7% erosion in your salary, my salary and people's abilities to buy goods. So if you want to ask me next, how does the economy look? I can give you pluses. I can make you feel good and give you statistics that are in the pluses. But to people that have money to spend and to support their families, we are in a very, very rough time, Roy. See, what I want to know is where's the cliff? I don't want somebody to tell me, Let me I can put a nice bow on this for you, and I can tell you there's something inside the box, and you may like it, but I can, I'll, I'll just show you the nice bow for now. I want to know where the cliff is. The cliff is in the inevitable raising of interest rates. That is that is the cliff. Now, I can't tell you without a crystal ball where what number that is. But at some point now, rates are not just going to rise, but they're going to start to rise higher and higher. Now, will that slow down a little bit of spending and reduce this inflation number? Yes, but you always have to ask in economics, Roy, what has to give? Something has to give. And what's going to give in that respect is mortgages. What's going to give is that mortgage rates are going to start to skyrocket. And if you're one of the people that is perilously close to having to renegotiate your mortgage this year or next year, you can rest assured that those rising interest rates that may reduce inflation, maybe by a percentage, are going to raise your mortgage rates by a heck of a lot more than a percentage. So to me, the cliff, because economics is about people, the cliff is when people start to take their houses and put the keys under the front door and walk away. And as you know, Roy, because you're an educated consumer, don't say it can't happen. It happened in the 80s. It happened in the 90s. And history, we, we know we are doomed to repeat it. And the parallels are ominous to where we were in those decades. We were in, uh, in Florida in 2010, the wintertime. And that's where the, uh, the R word, the recession, had hit the United States pretty hard. And there were people who had homes on the inland waterways. And we were looking at uh, some ads. There was real estate. It was just flying off the shelf, if you will, at, at deep discount prices. I couldn't believe it. There were condos, um, turnkey, with a with a boat slip, ninety grand, hundred thousand dollars. These places had gone for God knows what two, three years earlier, and uh, they're back to where they were now. But people were struggling and they were hurting. Are we looking? I don't want to scare people to have to death now, but are, is that what you're telling us is potentially around the corner? Yes, and I don't want to scare people either. By the way, um, real no, it's let's get to the truth. Yeah, my aunt, my aunt and uncle paid $53,000 for a condo in South Florida in exactly the time period you're talking about. No, I don't want to scare people and I don't want to be an alarmist and I don't need a Twitter attack. But the reality is people have to know where they are and they've already seen half the story. They've already seen prices rising to the tune of about yeah. 7%. Yeah. And many of those people told me, you know, a year ago, I couldn't have imagined that. Well, where are we going to be a year from now if they do raise rates? And they're talking about potentially four or five or six 
0.25% increases. And the answer is going to be found in the mortgage market. And, you know, you can be glib and you can be one of the people that says, well, maybe some of the prices of houses will come down. Yeah, that's true. And so if you're on that side of the market, you're looking good. But if you're one of those people, Roy, and we know there's far too many in our country, one paycheck away from insolvency, you're going to walk away from your house. And I'm far more worried about those people than the people that are going to be led into the housing market. Let's talk about the... um What's happening as far as energy uncertainty is concerned and the price hikes that are reflected at the gas station? We have, I found out yesterday that there are 122 countries in the world that on average sell their gasoline for less money than we sell ours on, uh, for average, uh, whatever my mouth is trying to say. 122 countries sell their gas for less than we do on average. We are the third um from the top country with natural resources available to us. We don't need to be doing this, and our prices are going to go up again on April the 1st. So would you just address the issue of energy uncertainty, and I'll stop talking now. Well, that's actually, you've you've wrapped up two issues in there. So if we can start with the second issue, that is your government hard at work imposing a carbon tax when they have no reason or right to do so. And we both know it. People that are paying the price at the pump, they don't want a carbon tax. They don't need to be further punished for driving to their jobs. And that is just the bottom line. But if you want to go back, you know, it really reinforces. We talked about teaching economics. I teach my students about specialization and comparative advantage. And basically that means, can you produce a product better, cheaper, and more efficient than somebody else? And guess what? We do. But for some inane reason, we don't take advantage of it, Roy. We don't need the rest of the world for oil. We don't. We can be self-sufficient or at least to a great, great extent. But for some reason, we choose to check our comparative advantage at the door and go out and buy a good that's cheaper than what we could produce it for. It's, it's bewildering. And every time I drive by the gas station, the consumer of me is sad, but the professor in me just shakes his head and goes, someone should pick up a first-year book because the answer is right there. You know, we spoke yesterday with uh, two pollsters, one in Quebec, one national, about how Canadians feel about the uh, what we're doing as far as oil is concerned, as far as pipelines are concerned. And the reality is that people do not agree with government. They do not. They want, look, the finger's always pointed at Quebec. They're always the troublemakers. Well, you know, perceptually, they're not because Quebecers have consistently said, we want oil, we want Western Canadian oil, and we want it delivered by pipeline. What do we do? National picture's the same. I'm just looking at numbers here, trying to get it off StatsCan. Uh, 3.7 million metric tons. They will not allow me to get at this. 3.7 million metric tons of crude oil imported to Canada from Saudi Arabia alone in 2020. Saudi Arabia just last week executed 81 men simultaneously. These are the people we're doing business with, but on our side of the fence, Dr. Cam, we say, oh, our pipelines aren't any good, they're not right, it's not fair, they're not, they're not properly protecting the environment, and uh, there's something wrong politically as well. We're dealing with people who murder or execute 81 people on the same day. I think you can use the word murder, Roy, and I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox, but I'd like to put on a T-shirt because I tell my students this. This is what happens when bad government gets in the way of good economics. And you're going to see it now with this CP rail strike. You know, anytime that the supply chain issue is as bad as it is, what's the worst thing you could do? The worst thing you could do is further reduce supply 
and raise prices. So it's in a way, it's a tribute to what many of us have been telling people for years. Stop shoving a wedge between supply and demand. Stop throwing away comparative advantage. Stop having bad government get in the way of good business. And until it stops, you're going to just see prices go higher and higher. And I feel sorry for everybody in the economy who's letting political aspiration get in the way of sound thinking. Yeah. Do you see the likelihood of positive movement on the economic side of things, nationally and internationally? But let's be selfish. Let's look at Canada. Do you see the likelihood of positive movement in our national economy in the next 12 months? If by positive movement in gross domestic product, meaning are we going to be able to increase the amount of goods and services we produce? Yes. But as I've tried to say, Roy, I think that that's, as they say, a fickle mistress. You can point to gross domestic product rising and the prime minister will. But so what? It was bound to rise anyway. We're coming out of a pandemic. What matters is people's welfare and livelihoods. And those are only going in one direction. And that's down. So for the average family struggling now, and my feeble definition of inflation has been when you go to the gas station and the grocery store on the same morning and you can't afford to fill up it either, that situation is not going to get any better. Yes? No. Which one? No, absolutely. And you know what? I feel bad for people that are going to either lose their home yeah. or not be able to get a rental home because those prices are up about 20% in the GTA and about 10% across Canada. But they're going to stand up and go, I'm homeless. I can't afford gas. I can't afford food. But thank God gross domestic product has risen. It's ludicrous, Roy. We've got to get back. The prime minister has got to remember it is about livelihoods and families and stop the, the stop the insanity. It's enough. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.